0: we continue our series of lessons on the 119th psalm as we have designated this psalm exalting the word of god that's the theme of the series because that is the theme of the psalm itself it is an acrostic psalm as we have uh, pointed out from time to time at the beginning and occasionally to remind us of the structure of this psalm the longest chapter in all of the bible 176 verses eight uh, parag- or 22 paragraphs of eight verses each 22 paragraphs representing the 22 letters of the hebrew alphabet and in each of those paragraphs the eight verses each begin with that particular letter of the hebrew Alphabet. As we've mentioned, we don't know why the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to structure the psalm this way. Perhaps for um, memory purposes. We just simply do not know. What we do know is that it is inspired of God. Probably written by David, but regardless, it is indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it reminds us in this and in any other age of the power of the Word of God and the importance. Of the Word of God in our lives. Tonight we continue with the paragraph beginning with verse number 97. Verse 97, where the psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What a statement. Oh, how I love. Your law. It is my meditation all the day. You know, this particular verse reminds us of the very first psalm, doesn't it? If you think of the second verse of the first psalm, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. And so the psalms begin with a similar sentiment to the one expressed here by the psalmist, and you know, to those who were thinking as they should be thinking, the law of God is a precious priority, and yet tragically in today's world, and yes, tragically even in the church today, the law of God is not the precious priority with many people that it ought to be. Love and law, according to this verse, also go hand in hand. And yet we have many people in the religious world today, and yes, some in the church even, who try to tell us that love and law are virtually mutually exclusive rather than mutually inclusive. That we need to be more concerned about loving than we do about law keeping. And yet the psalmist brings the two together here very clearly, as does all of the scripture, how I love your law. I love the keeping of your law, reminding us that love and law go hand in hand. Albert Barnes commented that the best instructor in true wisdom is the revealed Word of God, the Bible. Someone else has pointed out that in this beautiful verse we have the object of love, the law, the degree of that love, oh how I love, and the evidence of that love it is my meditation all the day and so the object of the law of our love should be the word of god and the psalmist seems to as brother robert taylor pointed out almost surprise himself with this exclamation oh how i love your law you know have you ever have you ever expressed something like that in regard to something you might be doing or thinking about and just think, you know, I just love this. <laughs> I just love this. You, you stop and think about what you're doing and you say, you know, I just really love this. Well, what should evoke that kind of response as much as studying the Word of God? It ought to evoke that kind of response in us on a regular basis. The more we turn to the law of God, the more we exclaim, oh, how I love God. That law. And we will, we will make that exclamation if we are coming to that Word and studying that Word as we should, because the more we dig, the deeper we dig, the more benefit we derive from the study of the Word of God. That's the way God designed His Word to bring us back to it day in and day out with the kind of study that will cause us to exclaim, as does the psalmist here, Oh, Oh, how I love your law. It is my reading all the day? No. It is my meditation all the day. Does that not suggest that even when we are not involved in direct reading and study of the Word of God that we can be meditating upon biblical principles and that we should be meditating upon biblical principles and that certainly we should be thinking consciously of how biblical principles should be applied to this situation or to that situation? And can we not, every day, though we're going about our daily duties, uh, have a memory verse or two that we uh, go through in our mind each day as we have some break and some opportunity to do so? Oh yes, meditating upon the Word of God can be an ongoing activity And it should be. And then in verse 98, he writes, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Ever with me. The enemies? Well, if David wrote it, they were pretty much ever with him. But the construction here certainly indicates here that it is the commandments to which he refers that were ever with him. You, through your commandments, which are ever with me, do what? Make me wiser than my enemies. You know, there are a great many people in today's world who know a great deal about a great many things. There are a great many people in this world who know a whole lot about one particular thing, a particular area of expertise. Nothing wrong with that. But if in dedicating themselves to that kind of knowledge about that one subject in which they are expert, or a variety of subjects in which they may be expert, they ignore they ignore the deep study of the Word of God, they are uneducated in the greatest area of study that is available to mankind. And that's the study of this book. And yet, who could deny that for the most part, Mankind is uneducated when it comes to the greatest area of study there is. And yes, there are many in the church who would have to be characterized in that same way because they simply do not appreciate, do not fully apply themselves to the kind of study that will bring into their lives a joy that they've never known, a peace that they've never experienced, A faith that they have yet to achieve and yet is achievable through the kind of study that the psalmist enjoins here as he exclaims how the commandments of the Lord can bring about wisdom. It's not knowledge that he says he gains from it, though certainly that would be the case. It's not just knowledge but wisdom. Wisdom. That He gains here. And the next verse reinforces that. If you'll notice verse 99, I have more what? Knowledge than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation? No, I have more understanding than all my teachers. And that's the key. It is not knowledge that is so crucial, but it is knowledge coupled with application of that knowledge. It's knowledge coupled with wisdom or coupled with Uh, with understanding of the Word of God. We have looked at times at the Philippian letter in chapter 1 and verse 9 beginning. Notice it again. Paul writes, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And all discernment. In other words, what the psalmist here is saying, discernment or understanding. I get not only knowledge of your word through a study of your word, but I get discernment or I get perception. Uh, I get understanding. And in the Philippian epistle at the next verse he says that you may approve the things that are excellent. It is not knowledge of the word of God that necessarily will enable us to approve the things that are good and excellent and to disapprove of the things that are bad. It is an application of that knowledge. It is knowledge coupled with Understanding. And yes, many times the student surpasses his teacher in that understanding. And that's what is being expressed here. The psalmist seems to be saying that his teachers did not keep up with him spiritually. Well, is it not possible for the student to outdistance the teacher in any field of study for that matter? And have there not been occasions, in fact, examples, quite a few of them, quite likely, where those who have sat at the feet of others have surpassed those at whose feet they sat for various reasons, application, hard work, study. I dare say that, for example, the late guy in woods surpassed in terms of his knowledge, application, and teaching of the Word of God many of those at whose feet he sat younger and studying and, and growing up because he certainly applied himself to the study of the Word of God in order to, to do that. And I'm sure that many of those teachers, if they lived long enough to see what he accomplished in the kingdom of God, were quite happy to see him surpass them in that knowledge because we're all to use the talents we have, but some simply have more talents than others, and as they use them, they are multiplied. I don't know to whom the statement was attributed, but I think I've mentioned it before, that one of the old-time preachers who was an excellent preacher, as I recall, although I don't remember his name, it had to be one who was very highly sought after for meetings, etc., said, I wish that every one of my brethren could preach the gospel more effectively than I could. That was the attitude that he had. Did he realize that there were brethren who could not preach the gospel as effectively as he could because they were younger, less trained, less experienced, etc.? Well, of course he did. But his desire was that everyone who preached the gospel could preach it more effectively than he could. Why? Because... His dedication and determination was to the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel as effectively and as widespread, on a widespread basis as possible in order to reach the maximum number of souls. But what we are looking at here in this particular sequence of verses is expression after expression of just how much the Word of God can do for you if you will allow it to do it. That's really what he's Saying in statement after statement, I have more understanding uh, than my teachers because I apply myself to your word. Your word can do that for me. In the previous verse, I'm wiser than my enemies because of your word. Because your word can do that for me. And how frustrating it is to think about how few really in our world are taking advantage of the word in order to have it accomplish for them what the psalmist clearly affirms by inspiration that it can do for us. Then he goes on, look at verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Again, true wisdom comes from obedience to the law of God. And when he says, I understand more than the ancients, in the Hebrew... As I have read, though I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I've read that in the Hebrew it simply means the old men. It does not refer, as the word ancients does with us at times, to people of former times, but rather to aged men. They have treasured up wisdom. They have the advantage of experience, of study, and of observation, as Albert Barnes points out, but the Word of God. The Word of God can give you more than years and years of experience of living upon this earth can give to the ancients, unless those ancients have also applied themselves to a fervent study of the Word of God throughout their lives. You know, I was just thinking about this today, that one of the saddest sights, one of the saddest pictures that I can think of is to see an aged person and because you know enough about the person to know this that despite all that age they have never rendered obedience nor have lived throughout their lives the teaching of the word of God. They're old and yet they have never applied themselves to the study of the word of God and have never obeyed it. And were you to sit down with that aged person in that situation and talk about any number of things, no doubt you could come away, you could come away with an awful lot of information that would be interesting, disturbing, uh, reassuring, uh, uh, comforting, all sorts of things that you could find out that would be interesting. But if it is not from the perspective of one who knows the Lord... How sad it is to see a life lived to that extent. And yet, with all the, quote, wisdom of the world that may be there in that individual, the greatest wisdom of all has been neglected year after year after year, all the way into old age. That's very sad to me. In the next verse he says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. The negative, I have restrained my feet. The positive, that I may keep your word. The psalmist says, I have avoided evil so that I could be characterized as a keeper of your word. He does not say, I have greatly diminished the amount of evil in my life because I want to be viewed as a follower of your word. You can't do that. You can't have it both ways, and the psalmist so declares here. He says to us, you've got to restrain your feet from what? Every evil way. That has been my determination, to restrain my feet from every evil way so that I can, on the positive side of it, keep your word. Now think about it. If David is the author of this psalm, we can look at his life and we can see some evil there that crept in. We can see some things that occurred in the life of David that were anything but good. And let's go on to the next verse to reinforce this point. He further says, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. So I have restrained my feet from every evil way. I have not departed from your judgments. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba whom he put in the front line so that he would be killed so they could have Bathsheba? What about the numbering of Israel against the will of God and the pride that that uh, produced and the punishment that came as a result of that? There were instances in David's life where he sinned against God, and yet he is also called the man after God's own heart. Why? I think we're seeing that right here, frankly, in these verses, if David be the author. And that is, that although I sinned at times, my heart was in the right place, and my determination was there. Yes, the devil did tempt me, and yes, I did succumb. But when I did, I did not say, if I have sinned, forgive me. I said, I have sinned. And I repented, and I came back to the Lord, and I continued to follow His judgments and to follow His teaching. And it simply reminds us of what we surely already know, and that is that we are all human, that we're frail, that we do fall short at times of the will of God. And yet, we need to have the determination that the psalmist here expressed not to depart from the judgments, and yes, when we do stumble, we, as the psalmist did, if this is David, we get up, we repent, we move on. We move on, and we hopefully become stronger as a result. Oh yes, David certainly sinned. However, his aim was to please God, and when he fell short, he repented. And then in verse 103, he expresses this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You think about First Samuel chapter 14 on the occasion when God's people, as they often were, in battle with the Philistines and Saul, the father of Jonathan, Saul, the first king of the United Kingdom, had really made a rash declaration. That rash declaration was, nobody eats until my enemies have been avenged, until they have been uh, taken care of. Until I have avenged myself upon my enemies, nobody eats. Well, you can get pretty hungry after a long day of battle, and that's exactly what had happened. Jonathan didn't hear that declaration from his father, and so First Samuel fourteen twenty seven says, But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of, a, of a, the rod that was in his hand as they came to a certain place in the forest there and saw the, saw the honeycombs and uh, put his hand to his mouth. Dipped that rod in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth. And the scripture says, And his countenance brightened. His countenance brightened. Then down at verse 29, after realizing what his father had said, he said, my father has troubled the land. In other words, he shouldn't have done this. He's troubled the land. And then he said, look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. Think about that in relation to what the psalmist says here. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And think about this, how much brighter our spiritual countenance would be if we fed upon the Word of God as we do upon physical food. I don't miss many meals. I just don't do that. You probably don't miss many meals either. That's fine. But think about the meals that have been prepared for us right here. How often do we come to this table and partake fully and completely of what God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us in His Word? The countenance brightens when you've had a good meal. The spiritual countenance brightens when you have fed fully upon the Word of God. And then in the final verse of this paragraph, Through your precepts I get understanding. There we are back to that idea of understanding. Not through your precepts do I get knowledge alone, but through your precepts I get understanding. And then here's one of those therefores. Therefore, I hate every false way. What's abundantly clear is that if I understand the precepts, then I hate every false way. And the more I learn what is right, the more I hate what is wrong. That's what David is saying. The more you come to learn what is right, the more you will hate what is wrong. Because as you learn what is right, you understand how important it is to do right, and how abhorrent sin is to God, and how abhorrent sin should be and must be to God's people. And it also equips us with what we need to be able to, as Paul admonished in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, as the New King James says, hold fast what is good. How am I going to know how to hold on to something or to let it go unless I have the understanding from his precepts that will enable me to, as John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits, whether they be of God. For there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world, and that's as true today as it was in John's day. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, test them. There were those in John's day who had a miraculous gift of the Spirit that enabled them to test the spirits. We have something that is complete and full and able to enable us to do the same thing, not miraculously, but through the Word of God. God doesn't give us a miraculous gift to know right from wrong. He gives us His Word to know right and wrong. But if we don't know the Word, we're not going to necessarily know what's right and wrong because we'll be ignorant of it. Down at verse 128 in this same psalm, you have a very similar statement. Look over at 128. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. And so, 104, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. 128, therefore all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. There is an emphasis here that the psalmist gives to the attitude that we should have toward Sin. Back in Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist there wrote, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. There's that same thought. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. That's a prophecy about whom? The Christ. That's a prophecy about the Messiah, which says that the Messiah, when he came, he would love righteousness and hate wickedness. How do we know that's a prophecy about the Messiah? Look at Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God... Is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The writer of Hebrews takes the prophecy from Psalm 45 and applies it very clearly to the Christ, the Messiah. Are we to be Christ-like? Absolutely. To be so, we must love righteousness and hate wickedness. But as we have often said, we do not hate the doer of wickedness. We hate the wickedness that is done. And we love the one who's doing it enough to try to lead him or her out of that wickedness. And so Psalm 119 Verses 97 through 104, again, emphasize so very clearly and so very beautifully and so very powerfully the power of the Word of God. Is it the precious priority that it should be in your life tonight? It is not if you haven't obeyed it in becoming a Christian. But it can become that precious priority this very night. If you'll believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess Him to be the Christ, and be buried with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins, you can leave here tonight with a whole new perspective, a whole new priority that you have now set. And that priority is God and Christ and the Word that the Holy Spirit has given and the church for which He shed His precious blood. If you've once known the preciousness of His Word, And the kingdom, the church, which you've turned away from it in a way that has brought reproach upon the blessed, blood-bought institution, which is the church of our Lord and Savior. Come home to her and to him, the Lord, tonight in repentance and confession of that sin. And for all who need no repentance, may you ever be not just a reader, but a diligent student, one who meditates day and night upon the precious word of God, realizing the power that it has to completely transform and continually transform your life with each passing day. If you need to respond tonight, will you come as we stand now to sing to encourage you?